Now today we're wrapping up our escape room series. I uh, hope it's been encouraging for you. There's an outline in your program, a place to follow along and take a few notes. I hope you'll take advantage of that. And while you're pulling that out, I'd like to say a prayer for us. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son Jesus to earth to free us, to get us unentangled, to set us free from all the the snares that we find ourselves in. Some of them are self-inflicted, some of them are inflicted by others, God, but we just get so messed up and trapped and discouraged and down, and we can't get out out of it without your help. Thank you for reaching out to us and loving us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, we've been in this series, I think this series has been so important for our church. I hope God's used it to encourage you. We know that everyone is going to struggle with anxiety and depression at some time in their life, if not uh, ongoing, something you have to face every day. And the reality is, I think if you don't have to struggle and ward off anxiety and depression, you might be crazy. I mean, this world is so broken and so messed up. If you really look at what's going on, uh, it's it's just a natural response to feel anxious and depressed. But thank God we have hope in Christ, that God tells us there's more to the story than just what we see or just what we hear. And you know, I, I've, I've attended a church before, visited a church, and I've had some friends that go to a church where when people are struggling with anxiety and depression, they just tell them, hey, you just need to have more faith. You need to kind of man up, spiritually man up and buck up and put on your happy face. And man, that's not how God talks to us at all. That's not real life. That's not how it is. God knows we're living in this broken sin-filled world. And that's why he gives us beautiful stories like the story of Elijah. Do you know Elijah? I just want to, we've been talking about it for the last few weeks, but think about this. Elijah, he's one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. He's one of the greatest prophets, one of God's greatest servants. He was a faithful, he was obedient, he was sold out to God. And he hit a wall and he wound up uh, depressed, anxious, wanted to give up, felt like his life was worthless. And if somebody like Elijah a man of God hits that wall and winds up anxiety and anxiety and depression. Why do we think we would be immune from that? And the beautiful thing to me in this story, I want to encourage you to take, take your Bible out this week. Read back through 1 Kings 19 for yourself. Read back through his story. Look at the lies he believed. And then look at how God responded to Elijah and his brokenness. He didn't tell him, hey, come on, pull yourself up. Come on, what's wrong with you? Why are you here? God gave him what he needed some food and rest. And so on your outline there at the top, there's a statement, anxiety and depression leave us vulnerable to lies that fuel our anxiety and depression. We kind of get in this cycle or just, we just kind of spiral down and things get darker and darker. And we looked at some lies together that Elijah believed and many of us believe that, that we get trapped, we feel like there's no way out, that my life is worthless, that I can't slow down, that I'm all alone. And today as we wrap up, what I want to encourage you to do, I want to give you five key truths that are the opposite of these lies. Five things I want you to hold on to. Memorize these verses. Keep this in your Bible. When when things get tough for you or someone you love, hold on to these truths. And the first one I want you to write down is when you feel like there's no escape, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Wherever you're at, just be brutally honest. Elijah prayed that he would just die, that his life was worthless. He told God he'd had enough. He wound up basically having a pity party, feeling like he was the only one left. And have you ever been there in your life? I mean, there's been a time in my life where I just cried out to God, I can't take it, I can't go through this, just take my life. I'm done. 
And God met me where I was, and he'll meet you where you're at. If you're angry or disappointed with God, tell him. Let him know. Elijah cried out to God, and God met him there. And God knew that living in this broken world is going to beat us down. And he gave us some key truths. Look what the Bible tells us about Jesus in 1 John. In Jesus was life, the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I know when I was going through some anxiety and depression, I felt like, man, there's just just no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just all dark. And maybe you've been there, and the Bible tells us Jesus came. He's the life and the light, and the darkness cannot overcome him. And so we cry out to God. We turn to Jesus. It's not usually a quick, fast, complete fix, a one-time fix-all. It's a process. It's a journey. But he begins to give us hope. He begins to restore us. He begins to renew us. And I want you to hold on to that truth. Sometimes in that process, you need some counseling or you might need some medication. You might need some help, and that's okay. But you need people around you to help you to hold on to this truth. And we've got a real treat for you today because we're going to hear from three people. We're going to hear their stories of how God met them and is helping them as they wrestle with anxiety and depression. And so first, we're going to hear from Linnea Hedgecock, our pastor of administration and business. She's going to share with us. uh, She lives in Arizona, but she still serves our church very faithfully. She was just out here, and she recorded a message just for you. So enjoy this. Hi, my name is Linnea Hedgecock, and I'm the pastor of administration here at Crossroads, and I've been on staff here about 12 years. For most of my life, especially earlier on in my young adulthood, I struggled a lot with anxiety and depression. I sought out counseling. I became part of support groups. I sought out spiritual guides, um, anything I could find that would help me to experience some healing. And I was fortunate in that I did experience a lot of emotional healing. Uh, during that season and for that I am very grateful. There's still going to be times in life where it's just a perfect storm hits and it's just you know while you might be able to keep one thing in the air when multiple things start coming at you it can it just piles on it can really make it hard to manage and then the anxiety and the depression and the hopelessness and the fatigue all of that can just pile on and it just becomes very difficult difficult to continue you know just functioning. It started in 2014 when the church began to uh, break ground on the new facility and what started out as a very hopeful, positive relationship with our general contractor uh, quickly descended into chaos, deception, and broken promises before the ink was even dry on the contract. As one of the main coordinators of that project, I was, you know, fighting every day to just try to keep things moving um, and then just watching deadline after deadline come and go and the building, you know, not getting finished. And it was just a constant battle every day to try to keep the general contractor on track and to to keep them doing what they were supposed to be doing. And then on top of that, my husband and I moved out of state to Arizona. And so I was still working remotely doing all of the things I had been doing before, but now I was uh, separated from my community of faith and as though that's not enough, um, my family, personally, we experienced an unimaginable tra- tragedy that to this day has not been resolved. Um, and just the destruction and devastation from that alone, just, just overwhelming. It's like, you know, after an earthquake or after a hurricane, just internally, that's what it felt like. So after a particularly uh, disappointing, scary day, 
just so much disappointment. You know, I'm on the plane, we're on the plane flying back. I was just so angry at God and I just, you know, the proverbial shaking my fist at, at God and just basically saying, God, I, you know, I'm gonna give you 48 hours to show up and do something to show us, to show me that you still care about us and that you haven't forgotten us because right now I'm not seeing it. Fortunately, I was on, a on, a, on an airplane, so there were like 150 other people on the plane and so I have a feeling you know, God took pity on me because he wasn't gonna mess up their lives. And the crazy thing is, is that, you know, I'd given God a 48 hour ultimatum, but really it only took him half an hour. We got off of that plane and in the busiest, one of the busiest airports in the country, we ran into a couple of friends of ours. And that was my sign, you know, that God cares. They, you know, they stopped and they, they prayed with us and spent some time with us. And that basically began a journey of, I guess a new chapter in my journey of faith with God. So I think one of the main things I learned is that there's gonna be a pain in life, there's gonna be suffering. We all have a choice. Am I gonna choose the pain of going through the pain with God's help um, and getting to the other side of it? Or am I gonna keep trying to avoid the pain and then they just stay stuck in it? I mean, it's inevitable, so it might as well be productive pain. The other thing um, was just how important it is to have a group of people that really, that really know me. I was fortunate to be a part of a small group of women um, and these were people that I could be honest with. They weren't af afraid of like my raw emotion, the anger, my doubts. And these were all people that had gone through their own time of, of trial and devastation in their lives. And so they were able to help me walk through that. They weren't threatened by my, my feelings or my doubts. Uh, the other thing is just looking through scripture and just seeing all the stories about how God showed up at the last moment in, in impossible circumstances and he came through and he helped people um, just like you and me, you know, with our faults, with our faults and the good, you know, the good things that, about us, but he helped those people despite the overwhelming odds that they were facing. The other thing I think that was super important for me is to just cultivate gratitude. Yeah, I can focus on all the problems and all the negative things, but I really tried to make an effort even to just start a list of all the things I had to be thankful for. And it wasn't just big things, it could be, you know, simple things like just a hot cup of coffee with real cream in the morning, like that's a huge deal. You know, or sunshine or rain or, you know, the smile and giggles of a small child, all of those things, I think it's just very important. For me it was to just cultivate that gratitude. For you sitting out there that you just may be in a really bad spot right now and just don't see the way out, um, I would just in, encourage you to make some connections with people. Um, the best place for that to happen is in a small group. That's where people can know you. That's where they, not, they don't know just your name, but they know the things that you're struggling with, the things that bring you joy. They're the people that can really sit and pray with you and, and really pray the, those strong, meaningful prayers because they know what's going on with you. You know, my battles aren't over and neither are yours. We're gonna have struggles in life. There's gonna be times I make good choices and there are gonna be times that I make bad choices. With the bad choices, it's just me basically saying, you know, God, I'm sorry. You know, there might be consequences with that, but I know that he can restore and use any situation, whether we've made good choices or bad choices, he can just use everything in our lives if we'll surrender it to him. But I can really just rest in the hope that one day he's gonna lead me through that, the struggle and the pain and the depression and the anxiety. He's gonna lead me through all that. He's gonna lead me through the door that takes me to the other side of that. I know he's gonna do that for, for me and I know that he can do that in your life as well.
Well, it is true that there may not be an I in the word team, but it is equally true that there certainly is an I in the word anxiety. Uh, for me, over the years of my life, there has not been a source of anxiety that I have not personally been especially fond of. Anxiety about growing up in a house full of sisters, anxiety about the grades I was making in school, anxiety about the Cold War of the 1960s, anxiety about college and grad school performance, anxiety about providing for my family as a young father, now anxiety over having a grandson in Iraq, anxiety about the warriors, I could go on and on. The anxiety I want to focus on for this service is the profound anxiety I've experienced around my own existence. Uh, sometimes this is called existential angst. I've always struggled with whether life and, and my life in particular uh, had any sustainable meaning. My participation in life has been colored at, at a kind of a cellular level uh, by this question. To this day, I have not been able to permanently shake this uncertainty, this nagging uncertainty. My wife, is, uh, over time, has noticed this on occasion with me. Uh, sometimes she'll ask me, she'll say, hey, are you, are you having one of your meaning of life uh, days today, Jim? Yeah, I'll mow back, and she'll say, well, why don't you try going out and mowing the lawn and see if you find the meaning of life there? For me, I call this a macro-anxiety. It's not a micro-anxiety like, will I find a convenient parking space at the BART station uh, this afternoon? Or is the person in the express checkout line in front of me really has 16 items in their cart instead of 15? In those moments when this macro-anxiety is getting the best of me and I'm losing that day's battle, it's, it's possible for me to become crippled and not be able to carry out some of the basic responsibilities of life and actually hurt those who are nearest to me and who love me the most. Somehow, for me, this has been a primal contest. And uh, I've eventually learned that this has something to do with my own family ancestry. Now, there are many effective uh, interventions for our assorted human uh, anxieties. And I want to mention one to you today that has been deeply effective for me. Uh, I want to cite a scripture in the book of Psalms that I think captures this intervention. Uh, it's Psalm 139, verses 10 and 11, and this is what it says. When I make my bed in hell, even there your hand holds me. This primal conflict requires a primal intervention. And that intervention is the fundamental human need for chaste touch. Beyond words, beyond ideas, beyond lectures, to be lovingly held. My parents did this for me as a child. My wife has done, me, done this for me as a spouse. Certain friends have done this for me as an adult. Touch deprivation is not a casual uh, problem. It is essential to human well-being, and in my case, it's essential to the management of my existential anxiety. I've become aware that if my anxiety isn't transformed, it'll be transmitted, 
and it'll be transmitted to those closest to me, which is a whole other source of anxiety in my case. See, the good news as I see it is that this is not merely a self-help program, you know, just another task that I have to figure out and accomplish. Uh, I've learned that, that this, is, uh, this is a situation where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And thankfully, step by step, here a little, there a little, I'm beginning to learn to trust that God is holding me and he's using some of his friends to hold me because I have come to this basic conviction that the human species is a species that intrinsically needs to be held. And so we bring our collective anxiety chance to church this morning and we cry out once again, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Amen. And now we're going to hear a really powerful story from Chrisley about her escape room. Hey, Crossroads. Uh, my name is Chrisley, um, and I'm part of the team here. Uh, today I get the scary task of talking about my anxiety and depression. Uh, the series alone has brought back so many memories of how alone and useless I felt in my darkest times, but also how God redeemed me and showed me how, that no matter how broken I felt and still feel, um, he has bought, brought me through it all. Uh, I can't remember a time where I wasn't dealing with depression and anxiety. As a kid, I always felt alone. I was physically abused because I was a black sheep of the family. I was called dumb, useless, if I didn't do anything right. I remember going to school with bruises on my legs and having a hard time sitting because of the pain I felt. That was my normal. I generally thought that I was a horrible kid. Um, fast forward into my preteen years. Um, I started my second year in middle school and I started to develop into a young lady, of course. Um, my stepdad took notice in that. And at, at just 14 years old, I was sexually and emotionally abused. Um, I wanted to stop it, but when I tried to threaten him, he would try, he would tell me that he would hurt my family, and if I ever said anything about it. He played off of my insecurities and made it seem like it was my fault that this was all happening to me. I remember all the times that I was crippled with fear and hopelessness that, in just in those moments. This went on for about a year or so, but even after the abuse stopped, something in me that uh, knew that I was a different person. I woke up each morning filled with so much hate and disgust with myself and started hurting myself just so I could feel something other than emptiness inside. I just had so much anger and resentment toward everyone around me that I started lashing out at home and in school. And I truly believed that I was alone to deal with all of this. Because why would I put anyone through any of them? This continued on well into college. My insecurities and hurt reflected who I was as a person, and I was just an empty shell that couldn't seem to get over my past experiences. I couldn't make much friends because of how paranoid I was being, and I developed social anxiety because of it. I tried to seek counseling and started taking antidepressants, but for a moment, I thought it was helping me get over it all, but the emptiness continued. 
I just couldn't shake the feeling that there was, had to be a better solution to this. I couldn't just keep living my life like that. Now that I look back through all of this, I realize one thing, that God was moving through all of this with me and I didn't even know that. Through an old friend, God introduced himself to me and, I showed, me, and showed me my purpose and gave me my hope through all of the darkness in my life. I'm not saying that despite me meeting the ultimate love of my life in Jesus, that my depression and anxiety all went away with a snap of a finger. It wasn't easy sifting through all of that darkness, but I chose to learn how to love myself and see myself as God saw me. I had to learn how to forgive myself and learn how to not blame myself for all that's happened. I even had to learn how to forgive those who hurt me. This was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. But I had to remember that despite it all, I had hope. And that was the greatest reminder of all, that through my healing, God showed me that it was okay to feel the way that I felt, just as long as I knew that I wasn't alone through it all. God began opening, opening, opening doors for me that I never knew existed, including meeting my, the second love of my life, uh, Will. I thank God every single day for such a patient, caring husband that despite some days being harder for me, he has shown me unconditional love through it all. God also brought us to Crossroads. Um, you guys have shown us so much love and so much support in such a short amount of time that we've been here. God truly blessed us with such an amazing church family. My journey with depression isn't over, not by a long shot. Some days I still wake up with that same emptiness that I feel, that I felt all those years ago. I have anxiety just standing in front of you guys today. But I take hope knowing that I have a God that still is writing my story. And he continues to give me new mercies every single day. I try to remind myself of God's promises, which I hold near and dear in my heart. And as you can see in the screens, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I constantly want to be transparent with who I am as a, as a person and as a leader in this church. Everything has their, everybody has their personal struggles and it may look like that we hold it all together but sometimes we don't have it together. And if you're struggling with depression or anxiety today, I just want to tell you something that I love you and you are not alone in any of it. Please don't be afraid to talk to someone. I, to this day, still consider seeing a certified counselor for additional help. I really do hope that through all of this that I've helped someone or even gave someone something to think about. And as I always say, Show love and be a constant reminder of kindness because you never know what people go through. Thank you for giving me your time. Hope those stories encouraged you. You know, sometimes you look at people, you look at leaders, and you think, oh, they got it all together. And you know what? We're all struggling with anxiety and depression. And all three of them, they, they got to a point in life where they were felt empty, alone. They cried out to God, and God met them where they were. And I hope that gives you hope. If you need someone to talk to, uh, Jim is a counselor. He, he counsels here in, at 
Crossroads on our campus here on Mondays. And his contact information is on the back of the program if you'd like to get in touch with him. But let me encourage you that you're not alone. Cry out to God. And the second thing I want you to write down, number two, is your life matters. Your life matters. You get to a place where you feel like, well, does my life even matter? My existential angst, as Jim talked about. He's a lot smarter than me. But does my life matter? Does, it, does anybody even care? Does it matter that I exist? Does anybody care about me? You feel alone and worthless. You feel like you failed. Elijah felt like his life was useless. And God met him there. And look what Jesus said about himself. When you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you feel alone. Jesus said, I am the door. You know, when you're in an escape room, the whole goal of the game is you want to solve some clues so you can get out of the door, figure out how to unlock the door. Well, Jesus said, he's the door. Come to me, and he'll help you find a way out. He said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you underline that phrase, he lays down his life? When you get to that point in life, you just feel like your life doesn't matter, that you're worthless, that you fail. What difference does it make that you exist? I want you to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. He laid down his life for you. We want you to know that you matter. You matter to God and you matter to this church family. No matter how you feel, always remember the cross. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago, you know, part of what contributes to getting run down and feeling trapped is we wear ourselves out. And Lance shared with us a couple weeks ago, number three, that we have to learn to slow down. It's not natural for us to slow down, especially in this culture we live in. Everybody's just go, go, go. I got to get all these things done and I got to get my kids to all these places. and I got to take care of my house and my bills and all this stuff. And on top of that, I don't want to miss my shows, right? So I'm just busy, busy, busy. And we have to learn to slow down. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's the master teacher. He wants to teach you to slow down. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You're not going to find rest for your soul anywhere else until ultimately you come to Jesus. God put some people around you to love you, support you, but without Jesus in the center of your life, you're not going to find that rest for your soul. And so often we try to fill that up with activities or substances or whatever else it might be. You know, God created us and said, uh, you need to rest on the seventh day. He gave us that Sabbath day to rest and refresh and renew. Elijah, he needed food and rest. And then when you feel alone, when you feel all alone, Mike talked to us last week He reminded us, you know, that we're not alone. And I want you to write this down. Number four, you are a child of God. When you come to a place in your life where you cry out to God and you say, God, please forgive me. I've sinned. I've messed up. And I I want you to come into my life. I put my faith and trust in you. God comes into your life. He forgives you and he puts you in his family. I love this verse in Psalm 68. It said, God places the lonely in families and he sets the prisoners free. He helps you to escape. He gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Places like Arizona or Sacramento, right? (laughs) Southern California, where everybody moves to. You come to God and he he welcomes you. He frees you. He helps you. He gives you a way out. He puts you in this family of people to remind you of these truths. Because 
Man, let me just tell you, life has a way of beating these truths out of us, of telling us we're worthless and we don't matter, of making us feel like we're alone. Paul said, you're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And even when you're feeling beat down and discouraged, let me encourage you, when you don't feel like it, make yourself show up. When you come to your church family, there's going to be people that extend God's love and grace to you. Get into a small group. It's not, it's not convenient. It's not easy. It's going to cost you something, but you get with some other people. God's placed you in a family to help you to hold on to these truths. And it's not going to happen if you isolate yourself. Isolation is destructive. And as God begins to renew you and help you to find the way out, the fifth thing uh, we see in Elijah's life is God told him to get back in the game. Go share this news with some other people. Number five, Jesus called us to show others the door. Now, usually when we show somebody the door, we're kicking them out, right? <laughs> but we want to show them the door, the escape door. We want to show them Jesus, who's, who's the way to this life. Paul said this in Romans, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. God sends us back to help others. Psychiatrists say one of the most healthy things you can do when you're depressed is to get out of your own head and get outside and help someone else. And God calls us to share the message of hope with others. That's why every year at Christmas, we take a birthday present to Jesus. We, we give above and beyond to help other people know about Jesus. And it's also why we celebrate baptisms. Today, we're going to have a baptism in just a moment. We had four last night. So exciting to share those together. And when someone gets baptized, what they're doing is they're giving you a picture of their escape story. That they came to a point in their life where they recognized that, that they, were, they were sinners, that they were separated from God. They put their faith in Jesus, and then as they come and get baptized, they're giving you this picture. They're identifying before you their life, their, their life with Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because Jesus came to lay down his life for us. And the baptism itself is not what makes us right with God. It's putting our faith and trust in him. The baptism is just an outward expression of what's already happened in our hearts. And so Brianne's going to come and uh, be baptized for us today. So thank you.